Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Would that be your way of getting out of a tight? Well, I can ship the whole herd out before they begin the test. You mean try and pass bad stuff off on my neighbors who wouldn't even know what they was getting? Uh, you don't know it's bad stuff. I'll ship them out of state and load them up north before the news gets out. And take a chance on starting an epidemic in the entire country. Why, this whole country is run on epidemics. Where you been? Epidemics are big business price fixing, crooked TV shows, income tax finagling, souped-up expense accounts. How many honest men you know? You take the sinners away from the saints, you're lucky to end up with Abraham Lincoln. Oh, I say, let's us put our bread in some of that gravy while it is still hot. You're an unprincipled man, Hood. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So this week, we've watched Hud, the terrific 1962 film directed by Martin Ritt. Big, big movie for... Paul Newman. It's got a screenplay based upon the novel by Larry McMurtry. The screenplay is by Harriet Frank Jr. And in part one, we always talk about our overall take on the film. Uh, since I proposed this film, Mike gets his his first dibs at the opening shot. So Mike, we watched HUD separately, have not discussed it yet. What's your overall take on the movie? Well, let, let me start with how it starts, which is that's what I call exposition. I don't know. I've never read the source material, so I don't know if that's filmmaking brilliance or if that's Larry McMurtry just being himself. But wow, do they draw exactly who HUD is before he gets on screen? They they paint who HUD is going to be the way that you get a lead up to like Hannibal Lecter or Darth Vader. And he is he may be the the greatest Western villain. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people would call him an anti-hero, but and we'll get into it, but they're everything from, hey, have you seen my Uncle Hud, the kid walking around town eating the donuts with um, the radio the in his pocket? Right. He's a heel. And what does he find? Uh, what is what does his nephew find on the steps leading up to the house? A heel, a heel. Uh, you know, the, then the, the guy, the lady's husband finally comes home and he blames it on the nephew. He just says, lies gonna, right in front of him. He says, I'm going to finish this discussion with him behind the woodshed. <laughs> they get in the car and drive away. Um, that's I mean, and you're already in the movie. So they they paint character so beautifully in this film that it would le- the the film leads you to believe that there's going to be a turnaround. What the experience of watching this movie is like you and I are on a road trip and then we realize 2 hours into the road trip that we're we should have been going north but we're going south and I keep waiting for us to make a U-turn and I keep thinking ah oh, he's going to take the next U-turn and then you take you take no exits and then we drive off the coast of Florida into the ocean. That's how I felt watching this movie. A hundred percent. You know, the challenge is to make the catch of the movies that HUD is this amoral black hole, but of course he's Paul Newman. So it's so like the tension is how dis, how uh, despicable he is and how unlikable he is, but also how cool he is because he's Paul Newman. Yeah. It would, it's like, 
if the Grinch starred in Rebel Without a Cause and you were like, well, those who's are going to catch up to him eventually. And then nothing happens. <laughs> right. And then two, it's two hours and nothing happens. But it, and but every performance is beautiful. Yeah. It's like how we've done. We've done all these Dracula movies. Right. Like if you if you want to be like you see Bela Lugosi as Dracula, you're like, well, he's kind of cool. Like I said, he's the James Bond Dracula. That'd be kind of cool walking around with your top hat on and hypnotizing people like I. Yeah. But nobody looks at the Klaus Kinski. Nosferatu one says that'd be kind of cool to have those ears and that you know and that complexion so it's kind of funny but like you have somebody who's completely ugly but yet played by like one of the most like good looking charismatic guys like literally ever in movies and no matter how hard the movie pushes you to dislike him as as much as you do as it goes on there's always that atomic particle you're like yeah but he's still Paul Newman that but and and that's dramatized by all the characters, right? And so the way they he, react to him, right? Yeah. So he he has um, showdowns with his father, right? Who says, "I I don't understand how you came out of me, right? But you're still my son, yeah, right." There, it's that way between nephew and uncle. It's like I used to idolize you as a kid, but you're still family. But I can't stand you, right. even even at their parting, uh, wh- which I'm sure we'll get to it. You know, Alma says it would have happened eventually, yeah. And she then she gets on the bus. I, I will say one of the beautiful things about this movie, though, is the is camera placement. Um, you know, I don't want to get into it because we only have 15 minutes. Uh, there's some very famous cinematography in this film. But the interesting thing is there's so many shots in this movie where you could have envisioned them and other directors would have let them go because technically they were so difficult. What's an example of one of those shots? It's like I'm driving and I'm going to shoot your expression in the car behind me because my truck is close to your car, but catch both of our faces at the same time. You'd think, well, that's a two second shot. I'm not I'm not setting up a dolly on the hood of this truck to get a two second shot. But the people who made this movie were like, yes, we yes, we are. Well, That's it was exactly the fam- what we're doing. Yeah, it was the f- James Wong Howe, who who was the great cinematographer. I mean, his name is all over movies the same way you see like Edith Head, you know, a- as doing costumes. Um, I think he said this was his favorite movie. And one of my notes, it's so funny, is it this movie is filled with, I, I swear this is on one of my notes. This movie is filled with landscapes that people now imitate like the street and the water tower mm-hmm. and just the way this town is supposed to look we take it for granted but you and when you watch this movie you're watching that be invented which i think yeah, is so great and I, I mean i again i like movies i don't expect you to have the same reaction but in the goodbye scene when when alma gets on the bus i gasped because <laughs> i said there's no way he's doing this right because yeah. because the shot sets itself up as i'm gonna stay with her let the doors close and i'm gonna keep i'm gonna keep this on the the bus but keep one point of focus and you think ah they're not they're not doing all that for the bus to drive away and it's like yes we no, are they are doing it for and, the bus and, to drive and away. if you really if you really like movies and you're in tune with that kind of thing, it's not obnoxious unless you notice it but then when you start to notice it there's an audacity to the way that the that unbelievably difficult technical shots are just thrown away like they're no big deal and they're they're thrown away on points of emotional stress and so it's almost like the camera is acting and i don't normally like that kind of thing but here i really do because it's they're done so gracefully that i can't even believe it because i i know i can see in my brain what they had to do to set up the shots but they're they're just so beautiful and they only last a couple seconds well, you said audacious, right? And I think that what's so audacious about this film, one of the one of the things I thought to myself is this movie would never get made today. And and why is that? Because what's audacious about it is that 
the whole movie is is a character study. I mean, it's, it's basically plotless. We'll talk about the plot in part two, but it's a character study of three people with three different sets of values interacting with each other. And you do kind of like every Tetris combination of them, right? Like you have HUD, like what is, what is HUD assume? What is HUD value? Right? You know, self-interest, like the world is my oyster, you know, um, when he sells out his lawn in the beginning, when he tries to rape Patricia Neal, you know, his whole thing is that, like, nobody gets out of the world alive. You take what you want. You, you could sell the diseased cows. Um, remember what she says? Um, I wish you wouldn't park in my flowers. Remember what he says? Don't plan on where I'm going to park. Like, like I can park wherever I want, right? Then you have Lon, like you said, the good guy. He and he, you know, he's the kid from Shane, literally the kid from Shane with all of those values the kid from Shane has. You know, growing up like you know, walking around Texas like Wally Cleaver, trying to do the right thing. And then you have the father, right? Who says like, you know, had you ever become my son? You know, his father thinks you, you know, the, the land is a big important thing. He, you know, there's a sense of things vanishing. Didn't he remind you of Sheriff Bell? like another great Texas character, yes. right? So you have these three people and basically the movie puts them in situations where they have to talk to each other and they kind of have to interact and you see these values all come out. You see the old man and the kid at the movie theater, you see HUD and the kid at the bar. Like it's such a great, and that's what I mean. Like it's it's almost plotless because you're, and that's fine. It's actually a compliment because you're so driven by these people and how they're trying to relate to each other. And that strikes me as like so real and and so moving. Yeah, it, I think there's kind of like a trichotomy between yeah, exactly that's exactly character. What it is. Yeah, you get you. It's character. Well, and then the the second trichotomy is there's character, plot, and really good, uh, like obnoxiously good cinematography. But you pick right. yeah, you got to pick two out of three. You know, for and and in their in their personal trichotomy, you have to pick any two out of three for any good scene. Uh, and then and in this one, they pick character and obnoxiously good cinematography, but you can only fit two out of three. That's the, it, so it's, it's not a dig on the movie. It's what makes it beautiful. Absolutely. Hi, welcome back. In part two, we like to talk about our favorite moments or scenes from a film. So Mike, what's one of your favorite moments from this movie? There's a scene where he's out drinking with his nephew and he finally buys the kid a beer and the the kid goes to put coins in the jukebox and ends up looking at the woman at the bar and her boyfriend or husband or whoever it is starts to get a little bit squirrely and and essentially they end up in this standoff and as part of the standoff hud as a joke turns to the woman and says did you offer him any encouragement and she says no he says well i was sitting way over there and i was a little bit encouraged myself and I think that that's a that's a perfect illustration of his character. He really believes that he's entitled to have whatever he wants. And it's it's not that his behavior changes, but the setting of his behavior changes. Because what, later when he attacks Alma, we're all absolutely horrified. You know, he, it's right. it's it's under different circumstances, right. but it's the same person. And so I think that what this movie is trying to illustrate is that there's certain things that we laugh at in the light that are horrible in the darkness. And I, that that's the sense I'm, I know we'll talk about the ending of the movie later, but the very end of the movie is HUD by himself in an empty house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's charming. And that's how he gets there. The movie's about how he gets there. Right. He He's a sitcom character when everybody's st sitting around eating breakfast, there's work to do, shove a donut in your mouth and let's get in the truck. That's one setting. But when you're alone, it becomes grotesque, Right. What's what seems funny, what appears harmless, 
in you know where it's just going to be some country fight scene right it's it's like right. the fight from shane but only right. for only for 30 seconds right and so what what seems funny in that setting is grotesque in another setting and the movie does not let you have it both ways the movie says the way you feel right now stick a pin in that because we're going to revisit that and there's really no moment that's left unobserved uh, another example is Every um when when he's rolling his eyes after playing a joke on the kid, right? He's he said he he tells the guy that it was my nephew with your wife, you know, and I'm gonna give him a good talking to. But then he's on his way to see the same lady, and he's with his nephew, and he says, Do you want to come with? A grotesque offer, right? Yes. It, 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 yeah. Because you know what's gonna happen right. if, if you come with, and then and then you know, you logistically your brain goes to a place and you go, Well, how would that work? Right. And he says, at, at first. It seems like he's going to say yes, and then he says, "No, I I don't think so." Yeah, and right, and and he re- and he rejects it because what is funny implicitly uh, or something that didn't happen is grotesque if it actually happens. Yeah. Right the the way that he the way that he flirts with Alma and says how's about it seems har- it seems harmless. It seems like it's movie banter until you see it when the two of them are alone and you say no i wish th- i wish that scene weren't happening stop that from happening right and it, every keep grim waiting re- for the car to turn around like you said you keep waiting for the car to turn around and it keeps going forward and forward and forward Sa- same thing with the cattle right you you right. keep thinking okay there's going to there's some george bailey esque type of salvation coming either either financial or some other kind of possibility but it's but it's not happening and that's the grotesquerie of this film well, it's funny because you said that about the cattle because that's my moment. So my moment is when you know they go to shoot the cattle because as you say, you can't believe that the movie keeps going forward emotionally the way it does. And I kept you're shocked the first time you see it that it's going to go forward um, like uh, plot wise with the cattle. You keep waiting right for the for George Bailey to come in and the old man's doing the right thing. No, we're going to call the government. They're going to come in here and HUD's and just because HUD is against it, you're for it because HUD is such a bad dude. You're like, no, the old man's doing the right thing, right? And that scene where they go into that pit and they have to kill them all, right? You know, the old man says it don't take long to kill things, not like it does to make them grow. And of course, this is a movie about uh, about emotional and familial foot and mouth disease. I mean, HUD is the disease of that family. He's the thing. And, and we think we kind of figure out why. We keep waiting the first hour. What is between you and the old man? And it reminded me of the plot very much of Death of a Salesman. Right. So, so, um, you know, Bernard says to Biff Loman and his mother says to him, what is between you and Willie? And Biff always says, oh, nothing, nothing. Now in the movie, we find out it's because Biff caught Willie having an affair on the road. He never told anybody about it, but it destroyed his relationship with his father. It's not that whole America dream thing. It's because he caught his father cheating on his mother to get pushed ahead in line with the buyers. And that happens in this movie a little bit because you remember we're told about the other brother. Mm-hmm. that got killed when HUD was drunk driving. And you think to yourself, okay, that's what this is about. It's going to be about how a death in the family changes everybody, like another a million other. But but it's not just that, because it's really that some people are just rotten. And that's exactly what HUD is. It's not just the accident. It's that. It, like HUD is, he is the foot and mouth disease of the Bannon family. And the movie's about the other characters trying to like deal with that. Well, the problem is when it gets out. And so that what this movie is, is really it's the anti rebel without a cause because and, and that's made very explicit because what Paul says is you see this country changing little by little 
based on who young people admire. Right. And and so the the idea of HUD as an admirable person or as an admirable character is a cultural pestilence and it must be contained. And that's why it's so brilliant that they have the kid from Shane here playing, right? Because of course in Shane, who does he admire? Shane. He, and so do we, right? And here, well, who does he admire-ish? Like he kind of admires his Uncle HUD the same we do because there's things about him that are that really pull you in. Like it's very easy to get sucked into Paul Newman's gravitational field, right? But you look at who's admired. And Paul Newman himself said that when the movie came out, he couldn't believe that so many people wanted to walk like him. Like they had the HUD walk and that posters everywhere. And he was kind of surprised but I wonder how much he was really surprised because the you know he he looks so cool that way in the movie, like you said, like James Dean. But it's it's fascinating that they got the kid from Shane. This is a movie that takes place in the in the world of Shane, but without a Shane character. Yeah, well, the papers want to know whose shirts you wear. Uh, the the, but it's it's the the heart of it is you know is not the accident as as you right. correctly stated right because he says no I was sore at you. And I right, he he almost apologizes for because I had a hard time forgiving right. you and forgiving you is the right thing. But that's not why I'm that's not why I'm angry. What what this movie does is there are things that you see in movies that have consequences. And sometimes we go to the movie to escape from consequences, but this movie is an escape into consequences. Into consequences. Good consequences and bad consequences. As you said, you know, HUD's idea, HUD's first idea is let's sell the diseased cattle, make some money and go. And then his second idea is, well, at least we could use the land for oil. <laughs> and his his dad illustrates the consequences of what that would mean. And then because he can't, he has to lay off the two guys, you know, who who both get fired. And uh, and he's essentially driven mad and dies because he wants to ride through the land one more time, falls off the horse and dies in his son's arms. And so th this is a world where the thing that you're afraid of is going to come true. We as the audience are going to sit there and watch it come through. Uh, and and so you could wish that the action weren't happening, but of course it, it, it is. It's 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 essentially it's like a car you're not driving. Yeah. It, it, and when HUD says we should we should drill for oil, and the old man gives his his responses about why they shouldn't do that because you can't see it, you can't go out and you know take care of it and stuff. Is that of course it occurred to me that HUD would watch There Will Be Blood and say, now that's that's what I'm talking about. Like, and just like Daniel Day Lewis and There Will Be Blood, HUD and Daniel Day Lewis in that film, they're both, they're just who they are. And both of those movies show somebody going along and not changing. So let's talk about the end. Okay, so in part three, of course, we always talk about the ending or the title or the key takeaways. Dan, get us started on the ending. It's funny because I mentioned Death of a Salesman earlier, and now the more that I think about it, the more I see how much this movie ends in a way like that play. At the end of the play, as you remember, Willie Loman kills himself. He thinks he's going to get uh, Biff the insurance money, and at the end, they're all having this this uh, you know this eulogy for for Willie at the gravesite. And you could see Biff says, you know, he had the wrong dreams; they were all wrong. And and Hap says, no, no, I'm going to keep fighting. And at the end of the play, Biff is the only one that learns anything. Linda doesn't know why he did it. Um, Hap is still living under this idea they're going to start this great Loman Brothers enterprise, but at least Biff gets out and he says he had the wrong dreams all wrong and, and Biff leaves, right? Well, here, Lon kind of does the same kind of thing. Like Lon kind of breaks away from, from Paul Newman at the end. He says, I got to get out of here. And at the end, you have you have HUD just being who he is in that empty house. There's not a glimmer 
of change in him. And that again, strikes me as something that you might not see happen in a film today. The courage to make that, to really push that through all the way and not even have a moment where, well, like imagine a lesser director, it would have like HUD shaving, looking at himself in the mirror and like kind of having a moment at the end before the credits roll. He gets in the house and, and shuts the door. Well, what does he do when he gets in the house? I forgot. He opens a beer first. I was about to say, I was going to say he opened a beer, but I'm like, no, maybe I invented that, right? He opens a beer, right? Right. And, and this is this is the story of a person who killed his brother in an accident because he was drunk and then keeps a bottle in the dashboard. Right. Right. And that right that and that's like culturally, you know, it to side with Pa, that's when when people say like, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that's that's what they mean. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and and I'm go, like full tilt towards whatever that is, whatever those consequences are. And that's right. And that I don't think that that's an overly moralistic reading of HUD, because I think that what this movie does is almost make you kind of grin at yourself for, for the moralistic reading of it. And then it insists on it and then it doubles down on it and then it triples down on it and then it quadruples down on it because Essentially, it turns their field of life into a field of death, and the kid can't live there anymore. Um, but Hud can't live anywhere else, right? And and his great claim against his father's is, I, "You've been essentially treating me, you've trapped me as a sixteen-year-old forever." But his, the thing that his dad has against him is, "No, you've been a sixteen-year-old forever, and that's who you're going to be long after I'm gone." And I don't, I don't know what to do or what to feel about that. Um, but I think to do it with such with such beauty and such grace, again, to to return to the cinematography, is like it's like if we were gonna paint a George Washington sized portrait of a loser, right? And you and and right, and, right. and the and and the inherent irony of that is you say, well, if you're gonna do that, why don't you pick a smaller canvas? And you say, No, this is the right size no. canvas. It's like, why don't you do it a different style? No, this is the appropriate style, right? And 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 it's it. He's as just as love with the landscape as uh, you know, as John Ford, right? right? But, that's why Texas is the perfect. I mean, of course, the novel came, but that's why Texas works so well, right? It's it's John Ford without a great soul to inhabit it. Right. At the end of this movie, I thought he's like, he's, you know, it's another, it's another Western, right? It's out there in Texas. HUD has those giant longhorns over his bed. Like how great of a detail is that? Talk about self-image and who he thinks he is, right? But at the end of the movie, you know, he he's like Ethan Edwards. He's like John Wayne. But at the end of The Searchers, you know, John Wayne is alone too, but he's learned something. He's different. He's kind of redeemed himself in, in the eyes of the audience. Here though, HUD has learned nothing. He, it's, it's The Searchers with no learning where Ethan learns nothing. And again, I so I got to steal a, a bonus moment because there, I, I think in case you think that this is an overly moralistic reading of this film, go back and watch the movie scene, which again is is such a difficult. It's the kind of scene that you could imagine. And then you'd think, well, I can't I can't film a film, so I'm not going to film that. But they say, yes, we are. And so it's Pa and the son sitting there. While everybody else is on a date, he says, "Looks like you're the only person in here without somebody's knee to pinch, right?" Right, and he, and he's needling him for being an old man who's a kid, who, who's an, a moralistic soul right. in the same landscape. Because Lon says and, you have and, to like a girl if you're going to have to girl. He says I have to kind of like her, right? And and you get the you get the the soda 
it's it's she the 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 thing that comes out to sing like the let's all go to the yeah. movies is the soda thing with the can't like the canted cartoon hips um you know and the and the big googly eyes right and she comes out and they start to sing my darling clementine and all of a sudden the entire screen is just pa's face because everybody's singing an old song but they don't know what's going into right there's they're they're hearkening back to an old time and the the film is doing it almost winking at you for your amusement and that and the the point of that is that even that level of irony is is itself being portrayed ironically because the film is saying okay now that you've had your moment of irony let me show you what it looks like in somebody's face if they meant it and so the the entire shot is just pause face while he's singing too loudly because everybody's singing a little tune that they remember, but he's singing a memory of something that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and that can't possibly be shown. And that that's kind of the emotional heart of the movie. And it's not like he can bring it back and it's never coming back. And there's nothing that you can do to bring it back. The only thing that you can do is try to be the kind of soul that would deserve that landscape. Because this is no country for old men. Because that's why he can't kill the Longhorns, and when he does, that's such a that's such a traumatized. I hate to use that word, but it's such a, it's such a traumatic scene for him, and he he's so angry, right? Because that whole thing is gone. Remember, that's why he likes the Longhorns, because they're not they're not worth anything financially. They're not worth anything to HUD, right? But they're worth something because they're a reminder of like how long I've been around, and they're like him, and they're tough, and they're a reminder of the past. And the the right and in that scene, the government guy gets out of his car to go kill him. Right. And he says, well, right. Paul says, no, 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 I'll, yeah. I'll do it myself. And he says, we have no guarantee that you would do it. And HUD said, he just told you, didn't he? Yeah. Right. And so that's what I would call my darling Clementine morality. Right. That's the, uh, his word actually means something, means something to Paul. He knows the originals. He was around when the song was written, but to HUD, it's just a tune that he remembers. But it yeah. but it means it means enough that it evokes something that his dad gave his word. So thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about HUD. It's a terrific movie. It's streaming on the Criterion channel. Follow us on Twitter at 15MINFILM. Also follow us on Letterboxd. And let us know what to watch next. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.